You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are glad that you're here. 1215, my favorite service. Just don't tell the other people. But because uh, I told them the same thing. No, I didn't. I didn't, but that would have been something. Uh, so um, a while back on my Instagram account, I did this poll and I asked this question. You'll see it up here on the screen. And that is, if you could pick a superpower, which would it be? And uh, I mean, lots of people uh, voted on this thing. And, uh, and I don't want you to so look at them. You can think about which, how you would answer, but all of them are good. There is one best answer. And the best answer is D. Eat whatever you want without gaining weight. That is the best one. Now, I know that there's a few of you in the crowd who already have this gift, and you have no idea how amazing it is. And your lack of recognition of this is why your friends secretly dislike you. And so, like, I'll say, by the way, didn't the band sound amazing today? Like, man, they just... I, re- I'd say, I just, every week I feel like it can't get better and it just gets better. So um, anyway, I, I like to say something nice about Pastor George, so I'm going to say something not nice about Pastor George. So uh, Pastor George is just a naturally skinny individual, right? So a while back, um, there was a church that called me. They needed some help with something, so I, I helped them out. And then about a week later, they stopped by the church and they brought three dozen donuts from this donut place in, uh, in Hollywood, which they make these crazy donuts. They're so good. And so anyway, so being the nice person I am, I, what am I going to do with three dozen donuts? I offered them to everybody. So, and everybody's like, oh, you know, I'll have half a donut. Like, hey, do you want half of a half? You know, you want a quarter of a donut? Hey, you want half a half and half? Can we have one eighth of a donut? Like, a, can I have a, so one sixteenth of each donut? And so anyway, because we're all trying to figure out, you know, not eat too much. So we're all, you know, whatever. Pastor George comes over. He eats six donuts and then ate lunch. Um, now, the next day, we're all having this conversation about like, man, I shouldn't have had that half a donut. I gained a pound. Oh, I shouldn't have had, you know, I had a donut and a half. I gained two pounds. George walks in. He's like, man, it's so weird. I, I, I lost three pounds yesterday. And like, j- just saying that statement triggers me. I mean, it just bothers me so much. Um, but I will say this. Uh, the, the one in, in my poll, the one that received the lowest score was uh, unlimited knowledge, like human Google, right? I, I thought more people find that. People are like, yeah, knowing everything is for dummies. Um, and then um, the, the other one that came in third was uh, telepathy, and that is make people do what you want. Man, I've been trying to figure that out for years. Um, you know, if you're like Professor X from the X-Men, just can make people do whatever, I mean, which I think would make life easier. But number one, I mean by a landslide, Number one was to go back in time and fix your past mistakes, hands down. Now, why is that? Because that's what all of us want. Because all of us have made decisions. All of us have moments. All of us have words and conversations that we wish were different. And we would do anything to go back and change it. 
And that's why we say things like, man, if I knew then what I know now, things would be different. I wouldn't have dated that person. I wouldn't have bought that stuff. I wouldn't have gone there. I wouldn't have said that. And I definitely wouldn't have done that. And, and here's why we say that, because there's an understanding that comes from being on the back end of an experience that you don't have on the front end. However, um, it's why we do something and then later we, we, we see what we should have done with total clarity. And you can call it what you want. You can call it experience or trial and error. You can call it hindsight, but really it's wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to have the knowledge of hindsight, but have it on the front end of the experience. And it, it, it's not just knowledge, by the way. It's being able to apply that knowledge to the right circumstance at the right time and know what to do. Now, why do I tell you all of this? Because as we enter into message number 42 in our series in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has just been betrayed. He's just been arrested. And all of the disciples have bailed on him and fled. Peter is still hanging around a little bit to see what's going to happen. Now, if you remember, Peter is not even his real name. His real name is Simon. But Jesus um, gives him the name uh, Peter. The name Simon means shifting stand. It's kind of a statement of instability. The name Peter means rock, Petros in the, in the Greek language. It means rock. It's like rocky. You're Adrian. You know, like that. I like to think that, that Simon's wife was named Adrian. I don't know if that's true, but I just like to think of it that way. But the idea is, is that he's, he's the rock, right? He's stable. He's strong. But the rock is going to hit rock bottom in our message today. And if you're a Bible student, you know this, that uh, Peter ends up denying Jesus. And you're like, oh yeah, that, I can't believe that happened. But the question that we should be asking, because this is where all the wisdom is, the question that we should be asking is how did Peter get there? Remember, three, four hours before, he was saying that he'd be willing to die for Jesus. Three, four hours before, he said, I don't care if any of these chumps uh, deny you, I will never deny you. It wasn't an hour ago that um, it, before, right when Jesus was getting arrested, that he tried to cut off somebody's head like he was a Highlander. Really nothing. Okay. First of all, the movie Highlander is a movie about these immortals that, well, you know, it came out in the mid-80s. It is a fantastic movie. Probably one of my 20 favorite movies of all time. And I did this thing. I said that at 9.15, or uh, I said it at 9.45 and no one responded. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to keep going for it. I did it at 11. And I'm like, there's no way. And by the way, at 11, no one responded. I'm like, no way 12.15 is going to let me down. And yet here we are. <laughs> and so anyway, it's a great movie. You should watch it. But I'm going to move on and just act like it never happened. So, but somehow, Peter now has devolved to a place where he's denying even knowing who Jesus is. And this is important for all of us. Because no one sets out to sin or fail or fall. But what happens is sometimes we aren't intentional about not sinning or failing or falling. And so how do we find ourselves and how do we avoid a fall like Peter experienced? Well, there's three things that we're going to look at in our time together as we start in Matthew 26, uh, verse 57. It says this, And those who laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest where the scribes and the elders were uh, assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, the first thing, how do I avoid a fall? Number one, I need to know where my actions lead. Now, 
Jesus is on trial here, but you got to understand something that what Jesus is going to experience before he gets to the cross by 9 a.m. on Friday morning, he will have undergone six trials. This one that we read about from Matthew is actually the second trial that takes place. The Gospel of John, chapter 18, is where we find the first trial where they're taken, where he's taken to Annas, the high priest. Now you're saying, didn't we just read that Caiaphas was the high priest? Well, that is true. Annas was the high priest before Caiaphas. In fact, if you're into the soap opera type stuff of the Bible, um, Caiaphas is actually the son-in-law of Annas. Now, Annas became the high priest in about 6 AD. There was a governor named Quirinius who appointed him to the position. And so now this is happening about, this whole trial is happening a little over 25 years later. But about 15 AD, a new governor was appointed and the new governor wanted someone who was a little easier to manipulate. So Annas said, okay, if you're not, I'm not going to be high priest. You should have this guy be the high priest. There's actually three other people that become high priest before Caiaphas. The three other people are Annas's three sons become high priest. Now his son-in-law becomes uh, high priest. And so while these other people are serving as high priest, Annas is the real power broker pulling the strings. So that's why when Jesus gets arrested, they take him to the guy that's really in charge. So then they bring him, after they take him to Annas, they take him to Caiaphas, and they start, um, they, they start this you know, mock trial that they're, that they're doing. But what we read is that Peter is following at a distance. Now, the thing that's important for us to know as, as we track Peter from here, and how does he get to the fall and the denial, is that the seeds of Peter's denial have been planted hours before it happened. It starts when he was so overconfident in his own strength, when he thought nothing could face him. Even if all these other people deny you, I'll never do it. That's a dangerous place to live, to think that you could never fall. Uh, Peter, when they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, he says, hey, pray with me for an hour. And he finds himself sleeping when he should have been praying. And then lastly, he's chopping a guy's ear off when Jesus is arrested, when he should have been listening to the thing that Jesus is saying. And now he's following at a distance. And, and listen, um, most of us know where certain actions lead. And if you kind of map it out and you're like, Peter was here, then he was here, then he was here, you're like, okay, I understand the trajectory of where this is going. Now, the question is, and most of us would know that, it, it, we would say, we, most of us can look at where a road is leading and say, that's not leading where I want us to go. Wisdom is where I decide to stop and know that it's going in a bad direction, and I make a change. In um, 1995, which as I look around, some of you weren't even born yet, but around 1995, uh, my band, we had just signed a two-album record deal, and um, our first album had just come out. We were just starting our tour. One of the first stops... Um, before the big tour, we had, we had this big festival we were going to be playing at um, in Illinois. And so this was a festival. It was like 25,000 people would go to this, uh, this thing every year. It was in like the middle of nowhere, the cornfields. It was called Bushnell, Illinois, which I know you've never heard of because it's a town of like 20 people and, you, you know, a million heads of corn. Um, but anyway, but this is where they would do this, this big festival every year. So it was a huge show for us. So anyway, I didn't travel with the band. The band, we drove up. Uh, we packed up our stuff, and then we drove up, and they dropped me off in Tallahassee so that I could drive up with my wife, or, or we were dating at the time. So uh, I picked up uh, Carrie, her sister, and a friend of ours named John, and then we made the 20-hour drive 
to Bushnell, Illinois. And so now, because we ended up leaving the next morning, we couldn't stop. We had to drive straight through and, um, so that we could get there on time. So we took turns driving. I got the wheel around 1 a.m. just before we hit St. Louis. Now, just to say this, I've been to several different countries in the world. I've only feared for my life three times. Two of those three times were in St. Louis. So anyway, do with that information what you will. So anyway, um, but I get the wheel around 1 a.m. We hit St. Louis. We're driving through. At 7 a.m., I'm still driving, and I've been up for more than 24 hours, and I am, I am a zombie. I'm, I'm so tired. Everyone in the car is asleep, and we're driving Carrie's car, which was a stick shift, and I know that some of you have no idea what that means, um, but that is a car that does not have an automatic transmission, and uh, some of you are like, what is a transmission? We're moving on, all right? Look it up later. So now, so we get to, we're driving through like this, the it's just like cornfield after cornfield to get to this place. So we're driving through, and we get to a stop sign. Now, if, you, if, you drive, if you've driven a stick, you know that when you get to a stop sign, you can put the car in neutral, and then you put the, car in, uh, then you put the brake on, you put the car in gear before you're going to go. So I put the car in neutral, and I, I'm sitting at a stop sign, and I fall asleep at the stop. The problem is, is that the way it works is, is that your car is in neutral, and I fall asleep, and I take my foot off the brake. Um, while I'm asleep. And the car now starts rolling into the middle of the street. Um, my friend John, who was in the front seat, um, he woke up because he felt something was different. He wakes up, he looks out his window, and he sees an 18-wheel tractor trailer coming towards us. And he's like, Bob, time to wake up! And he's screaming at me to wake up. I open my eyes, and I, hear, I see this 18-wheeler honking that's getting ready to send us to heaven on the early flight. And um, and I'm like, okay, so needless to say, I jam the car in gear and get out of there. And so now we're less than an hour away. And so, and I'm just flooring it because I'm just trying to get there. I'm so tired. I can't even see straight. And I'm doing the thing that people do when they're tired and they're driving. And I'm, I'm so tired. I'm going to fall asleep. So what they do is they're driving, but they lean forward. I, I don't understand what that means and why everyone does it, but I was doing it too. You know, leaning forward, 10 and 2. I'm like, I'm not going to fall asleep. Um, you know, so now... Uh, which, by the way, a guy half asleep doing 80 in, a, in this cornfield, I, I don't know the wisdom in that, but that's what I was doing. So anyway, from the back seat, my wife says, uh, Bob, do, do you think maybe you should slow down? And I say, Carrie, what is there, like one cop in this town? And what are the chances that he's going to see me and stop me? Okay, do I even need to finish this story? <laughs> no, you, I don't have to finish the story because no sooner did the words come out of my mouth than the sirens went off and the one cop in that town pulled me over and I was explaining to him, officer, you don't understand, I'm in a band and I'm on my way to Bushnell uh, to play at this festival. And I'm, by the way, I mentioned it's a Christian band. We're doing this for Jesus. Uh, did I mention that for Jesus because we're Christians? And he's like, okay, I appreciate that. And here's a ticket. You can pay that for Jesus too. And I was like, how dare you? Anyway, so, and so that, now I, I tell you that story. And before you, yeah, yeah, I know where this is going because you just understand it. You have wisdom to know that this is where the road leads. And the key now is to take that, look at it in your own life, look at your own situations and say, let's take this to its logical conclusion. Man, if I have told my kids this once, I have told them this a million times, and I, they'll want to do something, and I'll say, okay, let's take this to its logical conclusion. And where does it lead? It leads to here, to here, to here. Do you want to end here? No. Then we got to do something different. 
And by the way, if it's, let's take it to a logical conclusion, and sometimes it's in a great place, like, do you want to do that? Yeah, then we move forward. But it's this, it's this exercise that we do to say, like, actions don't live inside of a vacuum. Instead, um, actions are always things that lead to further action. And so, and this is the difference, right? Because foolish people, it's not that foolish people have no idea what's coming. It's that foolish people think that the rules don't apply to them. Uh, listen, there's so many Proverbs that you should memorize, but this one for sure is one you should memorize. In Proverbs 27, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Listen, if you don't want to mess up your future, we've got to start asking the questions as to where our actions are leading us. And if they aren't leading where we want them to go, then we need to change. Listen, that's why, that's what the word repentance means. And I know that our culture hates the word repentance because it, it comes with uh, admitting that, that we've done something wrong and, and our culture doesn't like that. But the reality is repentance is a beautiful word. The Greek word is this word um, metanoia. The Hebrew word is the word teshuva. And it means this. It means to change your mind and to change your direction. And there is nothing that really is more beautiful than someone going down a road saying, I don't want to go down this road anymore because I know where it leads. And making a decision that you want to walk with God instead and go down the road that God is leading you to and calling you to. And listen, so if I don't want to, if, if I don't want to fall like Peter did, then I need to know where my actions lead. The second thing is, and you'll see what happens in uh, verse 58, or pardon me, verse 59. Look at what it says. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But the last two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us whether you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power or literally the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palm of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? And if you pause there and give me your attention, I'm telling you these last couple of verses are so painful to read. But if I don't want to fall like Peter did, listen, the first thing is I need to know where my actions lead. The second thing is I need to rightly remember what happened. Now, what's taking place? The religious leaders are looking for a reason to put Jesus to death. So understand, they arrested him without any charges. Now, you say, well, that's weird, isn't it? Typically, a crime has taken place. Then you find, you're trying to find evidence to lead to who did it or what is it, whatever that was done, and then they charge them with something, and that's how someone gets arrested. Yeah, that is how someone gets erected, arrested back then and today. But they arrested him, and now they're looking to come up with a charge that sticks. And so they try to find people that say, well, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up in three days. But the question is, is that what Jesus said? And, is this, and then, is that what Jesus meant? Well, let's, um, in the Gospel of John chapter 2, and this is what they're referring to, it says this, 
So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So what happens? What are these false witnesses alleging? And, and what are they alleging? Listen, they are giving right information with the wrong implication. Now, now, false witness, bearing false witness is one of the Ten Commandments. It's actually commandment number nine. And, and a lot of times we read that bearing false witness and we think that that is, just means lying. And by the way, it includes lying. And why is that important? Because if you can't tell other people the truth and other people don't believe you when you tell them something, you can't have a relationship with anyone. But it also means that you're giving the technically correct information, but you're using it in the wrong way of what it, was, what it originally meant. Now, let me explain it this way. When my wife and I first met, I met and I asked her for her phone number, and in, in a moment of uh, a lack of wisdom, she gave it to me. And um, the problem is, is that I got her phone number, but I didn't call her. And uh, a few days later, I ran into her again. And, um, and I said, hey, I'm so sorry I didn't call. My friend was in the hospital and I was visiting and so I wasn't able to. She's like, hey, I'm so sorry. Don't worry about it. And uh, she accepted my apology and she said, hey, how's, is your friend doing okay? I said, oh, they're doing fine and it all, it's all going to work out. Uh, and so it's all good. And so she found out that my friend in the hospital was the girl that I dated before I met her. And uh, yeah, every service had a gasp. Every service. And so anyway, okay, I know. It was wrong and I wasn't a Christian yet. And so... That's my answer for that. And so, so, but once again, the point is right information, wrong implication. What I said was true, except it wasn't. And it was, it was deception, right? And it, I was using the truth to be deceptive. And that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus wasn't talking about destroying the temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about his body as a temple and that it would be destroyed and, and, and it, he would raise it up in, in three days. Now, how does this intersect with our lives and, and bearing false witness. Let me, let me tell you how it does. And this is so important because sometimes what we will do is that we will rewrite history and modify what happened so that we look better. And all of us know people like this. Hopefully we aren't people like this, but all of us certainly know people like this. People who will tell their sad, deluded, deranged story so many times that they will start to believe that that version of the facts is what actually happened. And it's like, how is it that no one else who was there actually believes uh, that because it's not the way it happened. It's because they just kind of changed the facts to make themselves look better. And now they've told the story so many times, they've just, um, they've just convinced themselves that that's what happened. And the problem is, is that we will never learn, we will never grow, and we will never change if we don't own what happened. And this is so important for all of us, that there are moments, and we gotta do something that the culture doesn't like to do, and that is we have to take responsibility. That means that when a, when a relationship ends and you get into another relationship and you see all the same patterns coming up and you say, you know, the problem is there's just no good men left. Well, there's just no good women left. No, there's a common denominator in both of those relationships and it wasn't the other people. Is that sometimes, and that, you know, it doesn't mean it's all him or it's all her. We've just got to recognize that if we played a part, we have to own it. And, and, you know, and, and by the way, and if you say, well, you know, I, should, I shouldn't have dated her, shouldn't have dated him, whatever, and you just got to just own the fact that, oh, man, I, I shouldn't have, and not, well, see, what happened is it was just this confluence of circumstances. Like, no, it wasn't. I was lonely, I knew better, and I did it anyway. And that's just, I just it's what happened. 
And sometimes, you know, you look at the pile of debt and you're like, well, what do I do? Man, you just got to understand. There were just circumstances. No, that's not what happens. There's a thing called retail therapy. And that's what we engaged in. And, that, and that's what happened. And we just got to own it. Um, and, 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 and the point is this. That doesn't mean you have to make everything your fault. You don't. But whatever it is, whatever peace belongs to us, we have to own it because the only way that things change is when we accept responsibility and deal with reality. There's this passage that Jesus said this, um, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he gives the Beatitudes, but one of the ones that I think sometimes is misunderstood is Jesus says this in, in verse 8 of chapter 5 of Matthew. He says that blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Now, what does that mean? That you got to be perfect? No, Jesus is saying that there's a connection between purity and clarity. And that means that not perfection, but the more that we will own up to our mistakes and then just own it, repent, and change, that we will accept our share of the blame and not hide from the truth, the clearer not only will we see God, but the clearer we will see the future. The other thing is, is that we've also got to start doing the things that bring the results that we're looking for. Sometimes we don't do anything that we're supposed to do and then blame God that nothing has happened. Let me tell you something. God wants to do a great work in your life, and I'm absolutely convinced of that. But that doesn't mean that we don't have to put up the necessary effort to change. And, and that's just true for all of us. We've got to cooperate with God in the process. And, and listen, if you're a single guy and you're like, I'm praying for God to bring me a wife. Well, you should be praying for God to bring you a wife. That's a good thing. But do you've you got to cooperate with God. You know what that means? Maybe you go out and buy yourself a new shirt. Maybe you get yourself a new pair of pants and you take that He-Man shirt that you've been wearing and you don't donate it to Goodwill, you burn it so no one else wears it in this lifetime. And so, and you just, you know what you do? Then you start bringing your Bible to church. And uh, you're like, you know, they got one, they got the apps now. Like, yeah, but you know what happens is when you look over and you say, oh, the guy's reading it on the app. No, he's checking Twitter. That's what he's doing. And so you want to be, so you, and you want to be one of these guys that they, you open your Bible and you know what they see? They see ink on the pages and you see stuff is highlighted and stuff is written in the margin. You know what the girl that you want to marry is going to think when she sees that? She's going to see that and she's going to be like, look at this man of God. This guy loves the Lord. This is the kind of man I want to marry. I want a man who has a Bible like that. And, um, and listen, God's the one who's going to do it. But sitting around playing video games in your basement, not that you have a basement, but whatever, in your spare room is not the thing. And I'm telling you, no woman that you want to marry is impressed that you're like a level 90 garden gnome and whatever game. I don't know anything about video games, so I, I don't even know if that's a thing. Um, but I'm telling you, know, whatever it is, uh, it, it, it just, she's not impressed. Now, your friends who play video games might be impressed, but once again, you're not trying to marry them. Um, you're trying to marry this girl, and she's going to be impressed with your walk with God. Now, while I'm on the subject, ladies, as I tread lightly, um, you know, my wife and I have a friend that uh, refused to wear makeup. Or, or and by the way, this was a girl. Um, it's 2023. You have to specify. It was, and it was a real girl, not someone pretending to be one. It was a real girl. And... Um, and so she refused to wear makeup. She refused to dress nice. And her standard answer was, I want a man who's going to love me for me, not for what I wear or how I put on makeup. I was like, well, sounds pretty good. Still single, by the way. Um, and it reminds me of uh, one of my professors in college. 
And you know, one of the things, you get a theology degree and uh, you just see people, you know, kind of from every spectrum, you know, the whole spectrum of the Christian world, right? They're all, everybody shows up at the same place, um, you know, studying the same classes. And in one of my classes, there was um, a girl, she came from, um, a, you know, kind of a more uh, Pentecostal, kind of holiness Pentecostal movement and uh, where, where, you know, women weren't allowed to wear makeup. They weren't allowed to wear pants. You know, they had to be dresses. Anyway, it's, they're really kind of far on the extreme. And, um, and, and so, and she said, she's asked the professor, she's like, what do you think about, um, how do you feel about, you know, women wearing makeup? And he just said the best, it's like the best answer ever. And he just said, well, if the barn needs painting, paint it. And I was like, glass dismissed. You've learned what you need to know. And so now, Here's the, the point is this, that God wants to partner with us in the change. So do the things that God is calling you to do, right? Right information with right information. And you know what you will find, or right implication. And you will find that God is not just working in you, but God is working for you on your behalf as you partner with him. Well, we've been talking about how to avoid a fall. And so here's the fall, verse 69. It says, now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, you were also with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those uh, who were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you are one of them for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, last thing, uh, how to avoid a fall. I need to believe that God can transform me. Now, before we get into Peter's denial, I want to take a step back if I can. And I want to talk about the trial itself that we just read a moment ago. Uh, there's an ancient Jewish document that's called the Mishnah. Now, uh, the Jews believe in what's called the written law, which is the five books of Moses. That's the law, the written law. They also believe in something that's called the oral law, that on Mount Sinai, God not only gave Moses the, the written law, the two tablets of stone and the law, but also gave him what's called the oral law, which is the interpretations of the Torah. Now, that was passed down. It was not written down until about 200 BC. And, uh, but now the, the written version of the oral law is called uh, the Mishnah. Now, um, what's, there's a whole section in the Mishnah that's called Sanhedrin. And I told you that San, the Sanhedrin are the, for lack of a better term, like the Supreme Court of Israel. And the, in that section on the Sanhedrin, there are 18 rules for how the Jewish council must conduct themselves on death penalty cases like this one that we're looking at. I'm not going to bore you and give you all 18, but I want to give you a couple so you can see what's happening here. Number one is that a death penalty trial could not be held at night. And this is being held in the middle of the night. The second thing is, is that the council could not question the accused directly. Uh, because they had, they had to be represented by counsel, and it was a protection against self-incrimination, which was a prelude to our, our, the Fifth Amendment of our Constitution. The third is, is that trials could not be held on the Sabbath or on feast days, and this is being held the morning of the Passover. 
The fourth is that the offender uh, was to be verbally warned by two witnesses that the deed that he's about to commit, if you go down this path, this is a crime for which you could stand trial. A at most, the Sanhedrin legally could only issue Jesus a warning. The fifth is that if there was conflicting testimony, the case was dismissed. They have conflicting testimony and the case just keeps going on. Number six, the Sanhedrin couldn't try a capital case outside of their regular meeting place. And here it's happening inside someone's private home. Number seven, the verdict could not be declared the same day as the trial. And then number eight, and this is the last one I'll give you, is that the verdict uh, of blasphemy was completely bogus. Why? It's completely bogus because you were only found guilty of blasphemy if you use the proper name of God, which is what's called the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, or as we translate it, Yahweh. Now, Jesus doesn't do that. He says the power, and we made a point when we read it, to note that the power or literally the mighty one. Um, and so he doesn't say the name of God. He gives a circumlocution, which is I'm, I'm re referencing God without saying the name. And so there's a problem. They just, they sentenced Jesus to death for blasphemy, but according to Roman law, they don't have the authority to execute capital punishment. Now, the next time we're together, we're going to meet a character named Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate is a pretty powerful person in the Roman government. The problem is, is that he is on very thin ice with Rome at the time. He has had two major run-ins with the Jews, and that um, those complaints have made their way back to the Roman emperor. The Roman emperor has sent word back to Pontius Pilate saying, look, I gave you this post as governor of Judea. One more problem and you're going to be out of a job. So the Jewish leaders are going to be able to then go to him and leverage him for their purposes in his currently weakened political state. And we'll talk about that further next time. But the question is, what does that have to do with Peter? Everything. Why? If the religious leaders are illegally sentencing Jesus to death, what does Peter think is going to happen as a follower of Jesus? That he's next. That all of them are next. That's why all these guys fled. So Peter is watching, and then as he's realizing they sentence him to death, he's looking and saying, this is going to be me. They're going to, once this is all done, they're going to round up all of his followers, and they're going to execute us as well. So they say, someone is outside, they're like, hey, aren't you a disciple of Jesus? No, no, I don't know him. Hey, aren't another girl, hey, aren't you a disciple of Jesus? You were with Jesus. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Then a group of people say, you're one of his disciples, your speech betrays you. What does that mean? It means that Peter spoke with a certain accent. Um, in the Gospel of Mark, which by the way is Peter's account of the Gospel, uh, Peter, or the, Mark the writer writes this, and a little later in Mark 14, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you're one of them for you're a Galilean and your speech shows it. People from Galilee had a certain accent. They were considered country people. They were not city people like those who were from Jerusalem. Now, a couple of years ago, my family was driving in the South and, and you know this, that we can recognize where people are from based on the accent in which they speak. We're driving through the South. We stop for lunch and everybody's ordering and I order a bottle of water. And the girl says in, in, in this accent, um, we don't have bottles of water, but we have sweet tea. And, and I'm thinking, are you from New York City? 
No. I mean, this is like deep south, right? That's just people from the deep south have a certain accent. And we recognize people's geography based on the accent. I grew up in Boston. I know all about local accents. And I grew up speaking with a Boston accent. And you're like, well, how? everybody asks me this. You're from Boston. How is it that you don't speak with the accent anymore? And the answer is God healed me. And, um, and so, but I, do, I remember a few years ago, I went to preach at a church. And after the service, it was so funny, I had to laugh because I just wasn't used to people with really thick Boston accents talking like, about Bible stuff. But a uh, guy walks up to me and, uh, and he says, oh, Pastor Bob, praise the Lord. He says, what you said about Jesus was wicked awesome. And I'm like, thank you, I think. And uh, so no, it's just, it's just the accent. But Jesus spent most of his time in Galilee and so he was considered a Galilean preacher. And almost all of his disciples... We're from, we're from Galilee. And so Peter denies it, and every time he denies, he gets more intense until we read that he curses and swears that doesn't know who Jesus is. And by the way, when it says curses and swears, it doesn't mean that these were like, you know, four-letter words in, in Hebrew or Greek. Um, it's actually much worse than that. Uh, the word curse is this compound word, kata anathamazo. By the way, you want to impress people at lunch, throw, out, throw down kata anathamazo, uh, and be like, whoa, what's going on with this man? This this person's got some depth. Anyway, so now kata anathamazo literally means to be cursed to the lowest hell if I'm not telling the truth. Uh, to swear means that he was taking a solemn oath that he's telling the truth. This is Peter's darkest moment. But I am so grateful it wasn't his final moment. This is rock bottom for Peter, a place that he never wanted to return. But you want to know something amazing? About 50 days from now, in almost the very same place, right down the street from where he was. The place where he denied Jesus is the place where he will give his first public sermon about Jesus. And he'll get, he's going to give that sermon at the end. 3,000 people are going to be saved when they hear the gospel. A few weeks after that, Peter and John are going to be walking to the temple and they're going to see a man that's begging for alms and they're going to uh, heal him in the name of Jesus. And the Sanhedrin, the people that, put G that, that um, gave Jesus the death sentence, they are furious that Peter and John are, are praying for people in the name of Jesus. And now they have to stand before that same council that sentenced Jesus to die. But now Peter's a changed man. 50 days later, a few weeks after that, he's experienced the grace and forgiveness of God. In fact, let me read it to you in Acts chapter 4. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands here before you whole. And then here's their response in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Here's the point. Your future doesn't have to be a repeat of the past. In fact, it doesn't matter if you've hit rock bottom, maybe that's the place you've needed to get to so that you can begin to experience the, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, and be transformed by Him.
Because at some point, you've got to ask the question if you want to be free. Because you can let the past own you and you can let past mistakes become a prison. Or, like Peter, you can let your failure be the moment where you experienced the grace of God and you could be transformed by it. Because God truly wants to transform your life and wants to set you free from the things that are holding you back and holding you down. My friends, that's one of the reasons Jesus died. And he wants to change your life starting right now. So I'm gonna invite all of us to stand as we, as we close. Because if you want your life to change and you want God to transform your life, what does it take? All it takes is for you to open up your heart to him. And you can say, you know, well, pastor, I'm only here because someone dragged me or whatever, and I'm not really into God. And listen, I get it, but let me just tell you something. God is into you. And I know that because that's my story. I wasn't looking for God, but I'm so grateful that he was looking for me. And so listen, Jesus rose from the dead so that you could be forgiven, changed, and free. And if you find yourself in that place where Peter was, where you're just buried by your mistakes and buried by regrets, then maybe it's time to rise up out of that. That it's time to rise above your past, rise above your failures and your pain. It's time to rise above your guilt, rise above your fear, rise above doubt. Time to rise from who you used to be and enter into the person that God created you to be. Because God wants to take your life and he wants to transform it. And it begins with forgiveness, but it doesn't end there. And that this could be the day that changes everything. So in a moment, the band's going to begin to play. And this is where you get to make a decision and say, I want God to change my life and I want God to transform my life. So when they begin to sing, here's what I want you to do. Wherever you're standing in this room, I want you to take a step towards Jesus and meet me here at the base of this stage because this is where I want to pray for you. I want to lead you in a prayer. And I'm telling you, when you put feet to your faith and say, God, this is the day. This becomes the day that God meets you here and everything changes. And you can walk out saying things are different. You circle it on the calendar and say, this was the day that everything started to be different. So listen, if that's you and you say, Pastor, I'm where Peter was and I need to be forgiven and freed. I've got all these past regrets. I need Jesus to come into my life. I need to come back to Jesus and have him transform my life. Wherever you are, this is the moment. And this is the moment that everything can change. So if you're ready, meet us here. George, lead us. Listen, I'm going to pray for this group in a moment, but if you're, if you're still in your seat and you're saying, you know, I, I, really, I really need to be there, let me tell you what happens on the other side of not taking a step in God's direction. Because I've heard this story many times. 
people get in their car and they drive away and then they reach out to me and they say, Pastor, I was supposed to be up there. I was supposed to be there and I didn't and now I've got one more regret to lay on top of all the others. You know why this moves me so much and why we make these opportunities known is because um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up knowing about Jesus. Uh, I, I grew up... Um, we didn't go to church. We weren't Christians. And I heard this message at 19 years old. And I can tell you this 30 years later, this is the most important decision I've ever made in my life. And I'm telling you that this moment, I thought when I made a decision to follow Jesus, I mean, what do I have to lose? I had nothing to lose. But I have everything to gain. And I'm telling you that my life has been absolutely transformed by the simple gospel message that you've just heard. That Jesus died for me, he died for you, that he rose from the dead, and that he wants to transform your life if you will open your heart to him. And so if that's you, then listen, what are you waiting for? This is the moment that changes everything. This is the thing that you've been waiting for. That you, you were hoping that there's just something. I want things to be different. I don't know how they can be different. This is what changes everything. Listen, yeah. And can I can I just say this? Is that sometimes we're like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm already a Christian. Listen, some of us are Christians, but we haven't been acting like it. We haven't been living like it. We've been in name saying we're Christian, but we live in a totally different way. Maybe now is the moment that we say what I'm doing and what I'm saying need to be the same. And I need to come back to God. That's Peter's story. It's not that he didn't know God. He had to come back to God. And maybe for some of us, that's this day that we need to rededicate our life to Jesus. And ask him to begin the work again. So listen, if that's you, I'm going to just give it another second. The band's not going to sing and all that, but I just, I want to give you a moment. If you say, I need to be up there, I don't want you to miss it. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you. Well, Lord, we're so grateful that you don't give up on us, that you meet us where we are. God, even when we're running far from you, you meet us, you track us down, and you want to bring us back. And so, Lord, I pray for every person who's come forward that this can be their moment where everything begins to change. And some coming to you for the first time and some, um, God, we're coming back because we, we, we messed up again. But we're grateful that you're the God of second chances. And so, Lord, we want this to be the day where everything changes. Help us in that. And as we call out to you, Lord, I pray that you would hear from heaven and that you would transform us from the inside out. Those of you that have come forward, I just want to invite you to repeat this prayer with me. It's not a magic formula. It might be my words, but I pray that they would express your heart to God in this moment. In fact, we're all going to pray it out loud. Just say, dear God, I come to you today and I'm sorry for all my sins, but I'm grateful for Jesus 
who died for me that I might have life. And I want to walk with you starting right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.